Are you gonna see? Would you stand? We're gonna sing.
in you. Say these words, I still believe. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise, let all agree. There's no power like the power of Jesus.
sent Jesus Christ to be our trailblazer, to be the one that can set before us a path, but not just one that is full of difficulty, but also that looks forward to, to the joy that we can set before us. And I thank you so much for that perfect example and the one that is going to always be there at every step of the way, that you've never abandoned us, you've never forsaken us. You give us what we need to survive and thrive in this life. Thank you so much for teaching us about joy in, in the middle of sorrow. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you guys have a seat? You watch these videos. Tell me about the that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to to bury you alive in a box? No, no, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes, yes, that's it. All right, well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Shall I uh, write them down? Well, if, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most, we find most people can, uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, here, here they are. Stop it! O-P, new word, I-T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you... you, you you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds frightening. Yes. Then stop it! I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since no, childhood. No, no, no. No, we, 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 we don't go there. Just, just stop. So I should just stop being afraid of being buried alive in a box. You got it. Good. What other uh, problems would you, would you like to address? <clears throat> Uh, I'm bulimic. I stick my fingers down my throat. Stop it! <laughs> None of some kind? Don't, don't do that. But I, I'm compelled to. My mom used to call me fat. No, 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 no. No, we, we don't go there. But I've been having this dream. No, we don't go there either. But my horoscope did say... We definitely don't go there. Just, <laughs> just stop it! What, what, what else? Well, I have self-destructive relationships with men. Stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box! <laughs> so how many of you guys know who that counselor was? <laughs> That's Bob Newhart. If you know who he is, you're old. One of my favorite comedians for decades. 
Now, I showed that clip a few years ago, and I don't know how many people asked me if I'd gotten my counseling training at the same place. <laughs> Stop it, dork, or I'll bury you alive in a box. Now, I don't have a video clip of this one. I wish I did. Happened 45 years ago or so. I still remember it quite clearly. Sitting in the chapel at Emanuel School of Religion down in Johnson City, Tennessee, where I was doing my seminary training, and Dr. Buford Bryant was the speaker that morning. He was an old esteemed professor of New Testament. Stood up in front of us all, very, very quietly for a moment, and he looked around this room of wannabe preachers, and he said this. Gentlemen, God did not call you to be happy. What do you say? God did not call you to be happy. He called you to do a job, so get it done. <laughs> Never thought of it that way. I think he was right. And I think I could say the same to you guys. Guys, God didn't call you to be happy. He called you to do life with him, for him, his way whether that makes you happy or not, because he's God. <laughs> now, the paradox is, if your goal in life is to be happy, if that's your goal, you're probably never going to reach it. But if your goal in life is to do life with God, for God, God's way, my suspicion is that you're going to stumble on genuine happiness or something even richer. Now, John Sutphins, our executive pastor here at Cap City. In other words, he does all the stuff I don't want to do. Something like that. Anyway, it caught my ear when he told a very similar story. Someone very close to John, someone John loves deeply, called him up one day and said, I'm getting a divorce. Now, I'm not going to tell you who it was. It could have been one of you guys. John said to her, why? She said, because I deserve to be happy. Well, think about it. Do you think I deserve to be happy gives you the right to do something that disrespects God? Do you? And John said to her, who told you that? God didn't call you to be happy. Was John being a jerk? Or was he speaking God's truth with grace? By the way, after John said that to her, she didn't speak to him for about two years. I deserve to be happy. I have a right to be happy. Doesn't make me happy. To a whole lot of people in our culture, even to a whole lot of people in our churches, that pretty much cinches the case, right? What more needs to be said? I've got a right to be happy. I deserve to be happy. Which pretty much gives me permission to do whatever I want, we figure. See, we've got an obsession with happiness. And guys, happiness is not a bad thing. God gave you the ability to experience happiness. And I think God takes great delight in his kids being happy. It's one of his gifts. And I think he plants inside of us this desire for happiness, this longing for happiness, or maybe even something way deeper. And guys, when God plants something inside of you, some longing inside of you, he always provides a God-honoring way to satisfy that longing, eventually. God doesn't plant longings in you that can't be satisfied eventually in a God-honoring way because he's a good God, right? God doesn't create you to be hungry and then give you nothing to eat. Well, it makes sense. Listen to this. It makes sense that if a strategy keeps failing, you probably ought to change strategies, right? 
Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Well, people are obsessed with finding happiness. You want to be happy, right? You want your kids to be happy, your friends. The strategies we adopt keep on failing us. It's almost pathetic, this frantic obsession with finding happiness, and yet we get right back on the same old path to try to get us there. And instead of changing our strategy, instead of trying a different path, we do the same old all over again, getting the same results all over again, or maybe blaming someone else for messing up our attempt. There's an obsession out there right now with what is called intersectionality. To focus on all the different ways that we oppress each other. All the different ways people get in our way and hold us back. And there is truth in it. According to these guys, you're either the oppressor or you're the oppressed. You're the discriminator or you're the discriminatee. If you're a guy, you're part of a group that has held ladies back, right? If you're white, you're part of a group that has held back those who are not white. If you're straight, you're part of a group that has oppressed those who are not straight. If you have no physical disabilities, you are part of a group that has marginalized those with physical disabilities. If you have money, if you're privileged, if you're Christian, if you're educated. And there is truth in all of those things, right? And here's the deal. The more victimized you are, the more oppressed you are, the more people owe you you think. The more marginalized you've been, the greater your right to take back what you are owed. So those who can check off the most victim boxes win. Those who are the most aggrieved deserve the greatest voice, right? And those who find themselves in more of the oppressor boxes, we have the greatest debts to pay and deserve the least voice. Been reading this stuff? teaching it in our schools, in our workplaces, driving much of our entertainment and our politics, which oftentimes are pretty much the same. And listen, a whole lot of Jesus followers are starting to play that game too. We're starting to position ourselves as victims. I mean, it used to be an advantage to be a Christian, right? It used to be that being a Christian could help get you elected, get you a job, help you get the girl, buy a house, whatever. Not so much anymore. We've kind of gone from being the good guys to the bad guys, from the discriminators sometimes to the discriminatees, often. So if you try to be Christian, people are going to come after you, right? On the social media, in the workplace, wherever. And so there are Christians out there now who are saying things like, well, we're victims too. People are picking on us too. We're oppressed now too. We get to complain too, Right? No, we don't. Why? Two reasons. Reason number one, it's beneath us. We are not a people that whines. Think about it. We have always lived in a world that is at war with our God. Jesus said, if the world hates you, remember it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of this world. I ch chose you to come out of this world, so it hates you. So we don't whine when people are mean to us. It just is. So be it. In fact, Jesus actually said, Blessed, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. You're blessed because the kingdom of heaven is yours. 
He said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. We don't whine. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven because they've always persecuted those who try to follow God. Now, do you believe that? You see, if we're serious about doing life with God, for God, God's way, sometimes they're going to come after us. Okay. They cannot steal our joy. Do you know why? Because of reason number two. It's not up to people around us to make us happy. It's not up to you to make me happy. It's not my job to make you happy. Your contentment, your happiness, your joy is not mine to give you or to take away. It's between you and God. You see, we're like, I have a right to be happy. I deserve to be happy, which means you're not supposed to hurt my feelings. You're not supposed to say anything or do anything that might offend me, right? Well, if you allow people around you to control your feelings like that, you're going to be in for a world of pain. If your mission in life is to make everyone around you sensitive to your feelings, you're going to be in for a world of hurt. Bottom line, a lot of us feel like the world owes us happiness and owns our happiness. And a whole lot of us live like the world revolves around us. It's about me, what I want, what I think, what I feel. And if everyone around me treats me the way I want to be treated, I'm happy. And when they don't, life is miserable. Which means for a whole lot of people, life is miserable a lot. Bottom line, for most people, there is way more depression than there is happiness or joy, it seems, because their way isn't working. Now, I've shown you some of these stats before. I showed them to you a few months ago, but I'm going to drag them back out. And if you're following along in Simmons, Reflections on the Existence of God, you will find some of those stats there. Back in 2006, about 16 years ago, the cover story of the Harvard student use newspaper was about depression. According to the article, 80% of the 6,700 students had experienced depression at least once during the school year, four out of five. 47%, nearly half, found themselves so depressed that they had a hard time functioning. Remember, for the most part, these were the elite children of privilege. 10%, 650 kids had actually contemplated suicide. How awful is that? How sad is that? A few years before that, Billy Graham had had a meeting with the president of Harvard, you need to, to know that at one time, Harvard was a robust place spiritually, a vibrant place spiritually. Those were its roots. Well, Billy Graham asked the president, what's the number one struggle that students at Harvard have to contend with? And the president said, living with emptiness. Because by that time, Harvard was a spiritual desert. Living with emptiness, thus the depression. Because marginalizing God doesn't work, does it? Seven years after that, 2013, the Yale College Council reported that more than half of its undergrads had sought out mental health care during their time of enrollment. Over half of the kids, another 
at another one of our elite schools. That same year, the World Health Organization reported that depression had become the most widespread illness in the world. The numbers are still rising, especially among the young. In fact, depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide. Why is that? And why is it getting worse? You have any ideas? I think I do. What do you think is going to happen as our world continues to marginalize its God? You think life's going to get better for people? What do you think is going to happen if you choose to marginalize God? You think it's going to make you happier? See, we tend to think that the reason we're not happy is that things just aren't going our way. I mean, circumstances beyond my control stole my happiness. People keep messing up. People keep messing with me. People keep getting in my way. If I could only live the kind of life that I want to live, I should be able to follow my heart. If I could only follow my heart, I'd be happy, right? People be, keep being mean to me. They're, they know they're going to hurt my feelings. They're going to be so insensitive, and they still say those things that hurt my feelings and do those things that hurt my feelings. Kind of like if people would only think what I think and want what I want and say what I want them to say, then I'd be happy, right? Well, maybe not. Sigmund Freud, we've been talking about him because he was a very famous atheist, had a lot of influence. Freud figured out that the problem with happiness is that other people just don't cooperate. Should be able to follow my heart, should be able to do what I want to do, and people are holding me back, getting in the way. They won't let me be happy when I do follow my heart. They kind of heap all this guilt and shame on me. It's their fault. I'm not happy. And he was fully aware that happiness is temporary and fleeting, which means that unhappiness is unavoidable. So without God, because he was without God, he figured life is going to be dark, ominous, and full of despair, and his was. In fact, in a letter to his fiancée, he said that over the past 14 months, 14 months he had experienced three or four days of happiness. About one in a hundred. How sad is that? Do you think that's what God wanted for Sigmund Freud? Do you think that's what God wants for you? The only way Freud could figure out to escape the pit of despair was through a new drug called cocaine. But that doesn't fix the problem. It just helps you ignore it. So at the end of his life, Freud said, what good to us is a long life if it's difficult and barren of joys, and if it's so full of misery that we can only welcome death as a deliverer? How sad is that? Especially since he was terrified of death too because he wasn't sure there was no God. A few years ago, another atheist philosopher wrote a book called Straw Dogs. Bottom line, he says, we just need to accept the idea that we're just deluded animals. You're not special. There's no image of God in you. There's no real meaning. There's no purpose to life. Just accept it. In a book, that book, Straw Dogs, he reflects on why drug addiction and drug abuse have proliferated. And he said, drug use is a tacit admission of a forbidden truth in Western culture. What is that truth? It's that for most people, happiness is beyond reach. And life's just going to be hard, guys. No real hope. So why not dull the pain of it all with drugs, he says. Bottom line, for an atheist, 
All the happiness a person can ever experience has to be found in this world, and good luck with that, because this world just isn't going to cooperate with you. Quite a few years back, a really smart guy named Thomas Masaryk wrote a book called Suicide and the Meaning of Civilization. He argues the more society marginalizes God, the more godless the society becomes, the higher the rate of suicide. It's not about whether life is hard. It's whether people actually lean in or lean away from God, he says. Life was really tough in the Middle Ages. The rate of suicide was tiny. By the 19th century, suicide was one of the leading causes of death. Today, suicide has surpassed car crashes as the leading cause of death due to injury. Did you know that? And did you know that the majority of suicides are committed by highly principled, well-educated people with no religious faith? Kind of like those kids at Harvard and Yale. There's the psychiatrist at Harvard med school by the name of Armand Nicolai, who's been studying some of this stuff. In fact, he wrote a powerful little book called The Question of God. C.S. Lewis and Sigmund Freud debate God, love, sex, and the meaning of life. Guess who wins the debate? Hands down. He says one of the major factors leading to depression is worldview. How weird is that? He says, students with a secular, godless worldview struggle more with depression than kids who believe in God. And they don't respond as well to treatment, he says. In fact, he actually tracks the transformation that takes place when a student becomes a Jesus follower. He says, before Jesus, there's an emptiness, there's a despair. These kids, they sense this gap between what they know is right and the way that they're actually living. They struggle with the idea of death. They struggle with the idea that life doesn't matter. They struggle with the idea that their existence is really little more than that of a parasite until they become a Jesus follower. And then the world begins to look different. They know they're still sinners, but they sense this forgiveness, this grace. How cool is that? And life doesn't seem so bleak anymore. The future doesn't seem so hopeless anymore. In fact, anything but. Life can still be hard. They still get down sometimes, but there's something different now. Even more than happiness. There's a scent of, a taste of joy. You ever smelled it? You ever tasted it? If not, why not? And after embracing Jesus, these kids spoke of these spiritual resources that gave them a renewed strength, a, a real hope, and even a more profound ability to love. So, bottom line, what if? What if this obsession with finding happiness our way simply cannot work? What if this pathway to happiness that we keep trying just can't get us where we want to go? What if the path to happiness doesn't sync up with the way that God created us to function? Listen, guys, I love my truck, okay? It's simple, it's basic, but it's a bigger truck than most trucks. I like a bigger truck than most trucks. Strip down, Ram 2500, and I get to look down with disdain at all those little trucks going by me, right? But John Otten here mocks me. Because his ram is diesel. And his diesel engine sounds way cooler than my gas engine. 
and his truck is admittedly quite a bit stronger than mine. I hate that. I want my truck to be the coolest truck. So here's my plan. Here's my path. I'm going to start putting diesel in my truck so my truck can be cool like his. How's that going to work? What happens if you try out a path that is contrary to the way that something is designed? What if God designed us to run on Him? And what if any time we try to replace Him with some other fuel, it doesn't work? What makes us think that we can outthink our Creator, our Designer, our God? Listen, guys, God loves it when you're happy. But happiness is not God's greatest desire for you. And happiness is not His greatest gift to you. And paradoxically, you're not going to find happiness by pursuing it. Here it is. I'm going to say it again, guys. God did not call you to be happy. He called you to do life with Him, for Him, His way, when it's easy and when it's not, when it makes you happy and when it doesn't. And instead of happiness, which just comes and goes, you will discover joy, which is way deeper, way stronger, way richer than happiness. Two words in the Greek New Testament that kind of capture the essence of what it means to be a Jesus follower. The first word is kurios, translated Lord. The second word is doulos, translated slave or servant. Guess which one Jesus is? Guess which one you are, Jesus' followers? The Apostle Paul put it like this. He said, if you confess that Jesus is kurios, and you believe that God raised him from the dead, you're going to be saved. Not you, Jesus. If you confess that he's your Lord, your master, your boss, if you'll admit that it's not about me anymore, it's not about what I want, what I like, what makes me happy anymore, because he is Lord now. And we are douloi. Apostle Paul put it like this. He says, now that you've been set free from sin, and now you are douloi of God. Is that oppressive? To see him as your God? No. He says, your gain is a life fully dedicated to him, and the result is eternal life. The best life possible, both for now and for forever, he says. You see, the way to joy is counterintuitive. The path to joy is counterintuitive. We, th- we think the path to happiness, the path to joy is I get to be the boss. I get to call the shots and I'll be happy. Right? In reality, the path to joy is about letting God be God. It's a paradox. The path to joy is it's not about me. It's about wrapping my life around God the way I was designed. Listen, guys, it kind of boils down to this. Atheists pursue happiness frantically. Theists choose joy, which is way stronger. Happiness happens when things just happen to be going your way, which doesn't happen often. Joy is there when things go your way and when they don't. Happiness is external. People have a lot of control over your happiness. Joy is internal. It's between you and God. People cannot steal your joy. Happiness. You can feel happy even when you're doing something you know is wrong. 
Joy is there when you're doing the right thing, even when you want to do the wrong. Happiness tends to be self-centered. It's about getting what I want, what I like. I like how I feel. Joy is God-centered. It's about what he wants, what he likes, what he feels, and it's going to be rich to you. Happiness is fleeting. It comes and goes. goes. Joy lasts because joy is a choice to keep on trusting him. Happiness is a band-aid. Don't worry, be happy. Joy is a healing. Don't worry, choose joy. In fact, the Apostle Paul calls joy a fruit of the Spirit, which means it's an evidence that the Spirit is at work inside of you. It's one of those things you begin to experience as you do life with God, for God, God's way. You listen, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Guys, those aren't options that we get to pick and choose from. I'll take some peace, I'll take some kindness, but I'll pass on patience and I'll pass on joy right now, if you don't mind, God. Fruit of the Spirit is the image of God's stuff that the Spirit is trying to grow in every single one of us Jesus followers. Peace and joy are there for every Jesus follower. Do you believe that? Now listen. Guys, I can understand why atheists are depressed. I think if I was an atheist, I'd be depressed too. I think the emptiness and depression is kind of the logical outcome of doing a life without God. But it should be different for us. We're Jesus followers. And I know that there are such a thing as clinical depression and there can be reasons for depression that are beyond our control. Maybe a chemical imbalance or maybe the result of some injury. And I know life gets hard many times and evil sometimes and sometimes unhappiness is fully appropriate. But we need to face it differently. There ought to be a detectable lightness to the life of Jesus' followers. They need to be able to see in us a courage, a strength, a peace, and a joy because we know we're doing life with God, for God, God's way. How cool is that? And I know sometimes words are easy and actions are hard. Well, I'm going to show you some of the hardest things to do in the Bible. You ready? James was a brother of Jesus. He wasn't a Jesus follower until he saw Jesus raised from the dead. That would convince a man that there is a God, right? James says, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for joy. <laughs> way bigger than happiness. He says, because when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. And when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. How cool is that? How'd you like to have some peace and some joy when life is hard? Apostle Peter was Jesus' right-hand man. When they crucified him for being a Jesus follower, they crucified him upside down. And he lived this. Here's what he said. Give all your worries and your cares to God because he cares about you. You ever tried it? Peter did. Do you trust him? Apostle Paul put it like this. He says, don't worry about anything. He says, have you ever, <clears throat> have you ever let your worry steal your happiness and your joy? Some of us live that way. 
Instead, Paul says, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He's done. And then you will experience God's peace, a peace which exceeds anything that you can understand. And guys, this is coming from a, a guy who was beaten, repeatedly stoned, jailed, and eventually beheaded for being a Jesus follower. And that's what he wrote. Believe it? Do you trust God deeply enough to live it out? Listen, guys, happiness is cool but it's elusive, especially if you make it your goal. And it's not God-honoring to live for happiness instead of for God. So, stop it, or I'll bury you alive in a box. <laughs> Joy is cooler. It's there for the taken for a Jesus follower. And here's the paradox. When you choose joy, it opens you up to those serendipitous moments of happiness that God loves to give you. Here's the paradox. Pursue happiness, and you're never going to own it. Pursue joy, God, and you're going to get the peace and the hope and the purpose and even those flat-out cool moments of happiness. It's a side effect. Because bottom line, guys, you were not designed to pursue happiness. You were designed to pursue God. And real happiness is a side effect, a byproduct, a serendipity that comes from pursuing God. As you know, C.S. Lewis is one of my heroes. And he says, the reason that you are on this planet, guys, the reason every one of you is on this planet is to establish a relationship with the one who put you here. Too often we pursue some other purpose. We pursue happiness, we pursue recognition, we pursue money or power. We pursue the perfect marriage, the perfect friendship, thinking one of those things can make us happy. And they fall short every time. Because none of those things can fill that God-shaped hole in your heart. Because that hole in your heart was sized for God and nothing else is big enough. And here's what Lewis says. This is good. He says, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He, he himself is the fuel that our spirits were designed to burn, the food our spirits were designed to feed on. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. Hmm. You believe that? I do. In fact, I think the hunger that you have for happiness that perfect job, perfect paycheck, perfect marriage, perfect friend, that hunger inside of you that is never satisfied by anything other than God, that hunger is a fingerprint of God. Your desire to be happy is a fingerprint of God because it is only satisfiable by God. There is a God, guys. And life works when we do life with Him, for Him, His way. Do you believe that? Guys, we've been talking about the evidences for God now since the middle of January. It's a powerful, powerful case. There's way more evidence for God than against Him. And I suspect there are some who've been listening to this stuff and you're probably saying, yeah, I think it's true. But you still haven't bent your knees. You still haven't made Him the king of your life. You know it's true. We're going to talk about more of that next week. Why is it we find it so hard to bend our knees to God? Well, it's time. 
Two weeks it's Easter. How cool is that? The resurrection day. Jesus broke the power of death, gave us the ability to live a, a life that is worth living. How about making Easter your resurrection day? Make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, and part of that is getting immersed. It's where we tell him that he's going to be our king from this day forward. It's a cleansing. It's a burial of the old. It's a resurrection of the new. Some of you guys need to make that choice, don't you? You need to make Jesus the king of your life, and we need to set up your baptism, your birthday. What better day than Easter? I'm going to pray for you. We're going to sing a song during this next song or during the Lord's Supper time that follows. I'm going to sit right down here. Come up and talk. Let's talk about it. There's an elder praying for you in that prayer room. If you prefer to slip back there where no one can watch, just go that direction. Talk to our elder. Pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the hope that he gives us. Thank you for the joy that every single Jesus follower can taste when we center our lives on you. Give us the courage and the wisdom to be people of God. We love you dearly. In his name we pray. Amen.
you're going through right now. I want to be able to say to God, my eyes will be on you in the good, in the bad, the difficult, in the trials. I trust that you have got a plan. And I trust that you've got a plan that includes me within it. I'm sure that as we focus in on Jesus Christ for these next few moments and the plan that's set before him, it was very, very challenging. And the night before he died, he even asked, is there any other way? But he knew that he was going to do what God wanted him to do, to be able to endure what God wanted him to endure. And it's just an amazing example that we find in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. What we want to do is we come into these moments right now, we want to remember that. And so each week when we get together, we celebrate that act on a cross. His, his blood was shed for us and his body was broken. So what we want to do is we want to take the bread and the juice together to rem be reminded of that. This place is your home and you want to be able to give an offering. When we go to the tables in just a few moments, you'll be able to do that in the black boxes. We also have something that we call the generous buckets. So if you have something outside of your typical offering that you want to give to people in need, you're going to be able to do that as well. So if you would, go ahead and stand. We're going to go to the table. Go ahead and stand. Go ahead and stand, if you would. Yeah, because we're about to go to the table in just a bit. Uh, and let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you again for Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. We give everything to you because of what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and go to the table. So.
guys have a seat. We're so glad you're with us this morning. And if you're concerned that maybe in your own life you're talking about, oh, maybe God hasn't been that faithful to me and I need to find out a little bit more, I want to encourage you uh, to head back to the Connections Room just after service. Uh, Doc will be in there. Ben will be there. Uh, I'll probably be in there as well. We'd like to talk to you about faith. We'd like to talk to you about baptism. We, we call it a getting started class. Uh, but we're very concerned about uh, who you are with Jesus Christ, and we invite you to come to that. Again, it'll be immediately right after the service in the Connections Room, which is located just off to the left as you go out into the foyer. And we got some good things coming up. Like this coming Thursday is our Oasis Luncheon and Game Day. Now you think, well, the word? yeah, woo, yeah. And it's for all of us young people, young at heart folks, okay? And if you are 62 or older and you want to come and join us, please do. We'll be in the fellowship hall at 12 to have lunch. And at around 1, we move over to the, to the gym area and play games the rest of the day, you know, generally mud wrestling and that kind of good stuff. Uh, but just come out and we'll have a good time together and uh, just to celebrate uh, Jesus together. We celebrate uh, getting to know one another. Uh, so please, it says this Thursday at noon, the games begin at 1. Uh, if you're 62 and older, just come on out and let's fellowship together. And folks, guess what? Two weeks out. What happens in two weeks? Thank you very much. All right, so we're, we got a great Easter weekend planned for you, so please uh, check it out at capcity.info backslash Easter. You can get all the info in there, but first is Friday night, Good Friday at 6.30. We're having a, a, a service here that we're the path to the cross. We want you to come out and experience that as well. There'll be child care available from birth to three years old, and then that's just to kick the weekend off, and then Saturday is extravaganza where we have an egg hunt for all ages, children that is, and we want you to come out and share in that. If you need more info, that you can sign up through Church Center app for that. Uh, you can sign up to help for that. You can sign up your kids. You can also take a look at uh, capcity.info backslash Easter to see all that layout of how things are, what time frame for your child will be here and all of that as well. There will be games. There will be uh, inflatables. Uh, it, it's just to be a great day uh, to come out as well. Also, the capable ministry will be involved in that egg hunt as well. Uh, so all the egg hunts are age appropriate. So please come out and share into that. And then to cap your weekend off is Easter Sunday. Wow. Here we are, folks. The time we can come together to celebrate that as a family unit. And here's what we're going to ask of you. All right? You know, if you've been around here a while, you, you've heard it before. And it is... Awesome, see? That's what it is. Come early, park far, bring one. Now, services will be at 8, 9, 30, and 11, but if you would please, when we say come early, if you come at 11, if you come at 9, 30, no, if you come at 11, we're going to wake you up. We're going to ask everybody if you come, if you possibly can, be at that 8 o'clock service, because we figure our guests will be here at 9, 30, and 11. And so it, uh, if you could do that, we'll impose upon your good nature at least once, okay? That's not that bad. And, but just come out and make sure that you do uh, park far, give our guests room to park, all righty? And just come on early and bring one, and you should have found these cards either in the seat or next to you. It's an invite card that you can please just pass that out to invite somebody to come to our Easter weekend. So please do that if you would. One last little thing, if you're visiting with us, your first here, first time here, 
Uh, there is a Connect card in the seat right in front of you. We would love to have you uh, register that if you'd like more info, and we will contact you uh, later on this week and with that information. We are so glad that you're here, and I'm going to ask if you would please to stand and leave. <laughs> See you.